Hey there, and welcome to the Confident Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Brooks. Join me as I sit down and chat with co-hosts, friends, and carefully curated guests and talk about all the things that empower you to become your best and most confident self. So let's get started. All right, ladies, welcome back. So today we have with us an incredible guest. We have Nicole Hagen. And Nicole is a nutrition coach, host of the Health, Wealth, and Wisdom podcast, and a new mom. She's driven by her own journey of recovering from years-long eating disorder and healing her own relationship with food. Nicole has found her calling to help other women unsubscribe from the toxic diet culture, find food freedom, and reach sustainable fat loss without deprivation, shame, or guilt. So today is 10 plus years later. Oh my gosh, she's been in this industry and in this space for quite some time. So obviously, we're going to have an incredible conversation, but Nicole is also a master's in nutrition, physical activity, and public health alongside countless other degrees, various podcasts, and media features, and is a successful business where she has helped hundreds of women leave yo-yo dieting and toxic diet culture behind so they can live the healthiest and happiest lives ever. So awesome. Thank you for joining us, Nicole. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It feels so official to be introduced that way. I hope I can live up to the expectation. Well, for sure. I mean, gosh, you have such an array of experience to the personal experience, to the education, to being in the field, being hands-on, working with your clients to really the whole gamut of everything that comes from like, listen, it's not just about the diet, Like, we're going to create these happy, healthy lives, right? And so I would love to just kind of peel the layers back and learn a little bit more about you, how you got started in this line of work to, you know, really the story behind the business, right? Yes. I would love to start. I won't start too early because I feel like we don't want this to be five hours long. And of course, there's (laughs) so much to tell, but I'll go back to around my mid-20s. In my mid-20s, I really struggled with anorexia as a result of feeling wildly out of control in my life and not having the tools to navigate those circumstances. And so as a way to falsely obtain a sense of control, I was missing. I started obsessively counting calories and under eating and controlling every aspect of my intake and my expenditure, my exercise. So everything that I now know not to do, I was doing to a very unhealthy degree. And I went on to actually lose my period for several years as a result of that under eating, the overtraining, I fractured my hip and my back. And I was just subscribing to all of the diet culture messaging in terms of good foods and bad foods and I'm a good person if I live in a smaller body. And because I didn't have the tools or the skills to navigate what was going on in my life emotionally, psychologically, I felt like, well, if I control my life physically in this way, I will be good enough. And that breaks down every single time. And it took me a long time to to realize that and to learn how to actually powerfully nourish my body and navigate life stressors and the hard feelings. And once I walked through that recovery process myself, I basically committed my career and my life to helping other women do exactly that. Wow, that's incredible. And I think, you know, as you share your story, I'm experiencing so many of that, the similarities in my own life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I know hands on, like, first what it feels like. And, you know, if you just want to share really quick with our listeners, because To be honest, like many women, we struggle with that to a degree, but when it becomes this consummation and it becomes our identity and that's where we lose ourselves. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about 
what were some of those challenges of how you found that this way of living or this ideal or this norm had really jeopardized your own relationship even with yourself? Hmm. I think it came down to where I was putting my worth and my worthiness. So at the time I mentioned that my life fell out of control. My brother was battling substance use and growing up, I described like growing up in the perfect family. And of course, now I can look back and understand that wasn't the case, but it felt pretty perfect to me. And so watching my only sibling, who I loved very much, struggle in this way and not having the ability to help him or the resources to help him, I felt like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm lacking. And it just happened to coincide with like being an adolescent and growing up as a female who also was involved in athletics, there's a lot of talk of nutrition and exercise and weight. And I mean, I grew up, I'll date myself in the nineties. So like heroin, chic, Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen, you know, very popular slim fast type phase. That messaging was so pervasive. Like everyone should start their morning with a bowl of special pay if they want to fit into this yellow teeny weeny bikini, you know, like that type of messaging was very alive and well. And so I kind of fell into this trap of, oh, I don't feel like I'm good enough. So I must have to work harder, show up in my relationship with food perfectly. I'm using air quotes, live in the smallest, skinniest, lightest body possible. And then maybe I'll be good enough because that's the messaging that I was hearing from diet culture. Now, obviously that didn't happen. And I had to reach, I guess we could call it a rock bottom, but basically where my body was screaming at me to say, Hey, you feel less worthy even now that you're an emaciated version of yourself. And you absolutely have compromised your health and your wellness even though you're doing everything the diet culture says is what will get you to that like ideal status, I realized that I was more sick, more unhealthy, and more broken than before. So it was just a misplaced sense of identity. I thought my worthiness was coming from following those food rules perfectly, from never missing a day, logging in my fitness pal, from never skipping a workout. And it took me a really long time to realize that my worthiness, your worthiness, it's inherent. And the size of my body, what I put on my plate or don't put on my plate doesn't affect that whatsoever. Mm, Yes. You're totally speaking my language. And literally, I feel like you took a page out of my book, Chasing Perfection, A Journey to Healing, Fitness, and Self-Love. Gosh, everything that you're sharing, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me. Like literally that's me. So that's why I said at the beginning, we got definitely a lot of things in common and a lot to talk about. And first, I think, you know, where we kind of start at that is some of the information where the constant bombardment of diet culture to what is considered ideal in the beauty and health and wellness standards in that industry to young minds being, you know, poisoned, I guess, with this this toxicity. And when you're at this young age, and I'm just sharing from my own experience here, it's like when we're at this young age, young teenagers, or even earlier, because I know for me, I struggle for a lifetime with body dysmorphia to eating disorders, self-image, self-esteem to excessive dieting and extreme dieting and exercise and all that stuff. And I ended up tracing back to probably when I was about eight years old, when it was the first time I found myself comparing how I physically look to others in my school grade. And then that exacerbated over time because now that one little fracture in a 
you know, an eight, nine-year-old's mind, that's where diet culture is like, ooh, we got in, right? And so now they just start pumping out all the content. Also growing up in the 90s here with, and I remember that commercial, the, the Special K with the berries. And it was the itty bitty teeny weeny yellow string bikini or something like that was the their commercial. Yeah, yellow polka dot bikini. Yes. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. And and I was thinking, okay, but I'm doing all that. I'm eating my bowl of cereal and I would flip through the magazines at the grocery store and it would say, like, eat this one salad and do like these three exercises. And it's like when you're so young and impressionable and you're starving for this. And maybe the word starving is appropriate here, but you're starving for that constant need for something better to feel that you're worthy and good enough and that your body is acceptable how it is. But yet when you're so young and you don't know, you're putting your blind faith and trust into others out there to determine and dictate your value and self-worth. And that's defined by a number on the scale or the size in your pants, or can you fit both hands around your waist? And it was just these constant measuring sticks that at the end of the day, you piled in comparison and it was just leaving you worse off than how you were and how you got started which is what you had just mentioned. So I'm just curious to know, like, you know, we pull back the curtain and we talk about the struggle at the beginning. And so what were some of the steps that you took to start implementing a healthier version for you? Because I know that this, and I'm just sharing from my experience, was decades. So hopefully yours was not as long as mine, but those that are listening are like, yeah, I'm in there right now. Like, tell me, how do I get out of this as quickly as possible? So. Yeah. Not decades, but years. So mm-hmm. I don't want to make it sound like it was a super quick process. It happened overnight because it didn't. A lot of people ask me what the light bulb moment was. And I don't know that I have one. Like looking back now, I can see major red flags in terms of, I mentioned, you know, at my unhealthiest, I was basically a stick version of myself. I was dizzy all the time. My hair was falling out. I wasn't menstruating, like so many red flags. To this day, I remember I was running on the track training for a half marathon and my coach was very hot out. I'm a pasty white redhead. So when I'm put in the sun, I turn tomato red and I was so hot. And she said, well, why don't you just take your t-shirt off? And the thought of taking my t-shirt off and exposing my body and running in a sports bra, I had no even essential body fat on my frame. I mean, I was so unwell. I couldn't even stomach the idea of that. Even so much further from that narrow ideal that diet culture preaches than when I had started. So like to me, that's a huge red flag now in terms of I whittled my body away to nothing and I felt less worthy in that smaller body. So it's just this false messaging that if you fit into this ideal, your life will be better. You will be happier. You will be healthier. If you look exactly this way by following these rules to a T, I think now I can see, oof, that should have been a turning point for me, recognizing that what I was following, like the messaging that I was following was actually doing the exact opposite in my life. But ultimately, and I don't know what this says about me, but I grew up hearing that I should put myself last and put others first. And I understand that messaging, but I do think there's some people pleasing toxicity going on in that messaging as well. But it wasn't until 
I decided I wanted to help other people navigate. At first, I, my first degree is in psychology. I wanted to help them navigate their mental health. And then that turned into, well, now I want to learn more about nutrition so I can get myself healthier. I want to learn more about physical activity and public health in general. Like, why do people do what they do? Why is it so easy for some people to engage in healthy eating behaviors and it's really hard for other people? It wasn't until I decided I wanted to help other people that I realized I can't make an impact in anyone else's life for good if I don't have my own shit together, essentially. So it took me wanting to help other people to finally turn that switch in my brain and say, well, then I need to recover. I need to find what is healthy for me. I need to unsubscribe from these limiting beliefs and engage in behaviors that actually bring me wellness. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's just the unpack so much of it. And it was just recognizing yourself is that limitation and standing in the way of the pursuit of what you actually 100% want, which is that that freedom, right? The freedom from feeling like you're held captive by something that indirectly was placed upon you and felt the burden that you had to carry this. And it's like, no, we're not, we're not meant to shrink down in size. And I think that when we look at the body from a metaphorical perspective, it's like, what other areas of our life are we shrinking and playing small? And what other areas are we trying to confine to fit in and be accepted and be worthy? And I think that opened the doors for a lot of areas for me to rediscover because that's where my starting point too was the version, right? I started with the one thing that I can control, not realizing I could that I had that power because I thought the control was actually in the food and the output, but recognizing that I had the power to make conscious choices and do something different about it. And I was like, well, the first area I want to start with is it's a reflection in the mirror because I don't even like that woman. I don't even like that girl, you know, like the different stages I had to go through with all these decades, but recognizing that. And then now seeing that there were different areas in my life that I was also being held back by those same beliefs. Because if you grow up thinking that, and it applies to just, you know, when we look at it, it's like, oh, it's just health and wellness. It's just food. It's just your body. No, that same philosophy and the mentality and the beliefs around that are also the same of what we do in other areas of our life. So I'm curious to know what other areas did you find out later? I'm sure because the aha light bulb was like, ooh, that shines so bright. I didn't even know those areas were there. So what other areas were you finding were like being compromised or that you weren't showing up as your best self there? Rachel, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I heard somewhere, I wish I could credit the source that essentially the struggle that you have in your relationship with food is just essentially a magnifying glass for struggles that you have in all relationships in your life. So if you struggle with restricting around food, well, maybe you're restricting elsewhere in your life. Like you don't feel like you're deserving of pleasure. Or if you struggle with like, I'll do that tomorrow mindset. Is that something that you say, you know, with work-related tasks, as well as getting to the gym or, you know, eating healthy or, or whatever the actual action step may be. And so the only answer I have is everything, like everything was just a larger reflection of how I was handling my relationship with food. I identified as like a perfectionist and I now call myself a recovering perfectionist, but basically if I wasn't doing the thing perfectly or I wasn't following the rules as they were designed to be followed, I was failing. And there's a whole another rabbit trail we could go down where I grew up 
also submerged in like purity culture and organized religion. So there was a very clear messaging there in terms of you follow this rule or like literally you are going to hell. So that was kind of the messaging that I applied to my life universally. Like I'm going to eat perfectly according to this diet or else I am bad. I am a failure. Like I made it everything about my morality and my worthiness. That was with everything. Like if Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to show up perfectly why show up at all? Which when it comes to health and nutrition just cannot be a mindset that we have because we can't eat perfectly. That's not a thing. We can't have like perfect healthy behaviors. I mean, we're fallible human beings. So I had to basically reconstruct my entire life philosophy and thank goodness for therapy because my therapist really helped me to see that it started with my identity of myself. It's okay if I am not perfect. It's okay if I fail. That doesn't mean that I am a failure. And then kind of bleed that out into my relationship with food. Just because I can't follow these arbitrary food rules perfectly doesn't mean anything negatively about me. That's the messaging diet culture breaches, but that was just sort of encouraging this false belief or this wrong belief that I had about myself as a whole. I don't know if you experienced that. Oh, 100%. All this is resonating with me. And it was just change happened the moment I realized that everything was seen through the perspective of my damaged lens. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, wow, yeah, if I'm showing up like this, and that's the beliefs I have around that. And to what you similarly noted was like, that relationship with food and exercise was also that mirror of how I treated myself, how I treated others, how I judged and criticized, how I labeled things good, bad, healthy, junk, clean, dirty, all that stuff. And so it was that context of, well, you are what you eat. And so if you're eating dirty, junk, bad foods, you are that, right? And so then slapped on this shame and then the guilt of repeating the process. You're like, but it tastes good. And I love cookies. And it's like, cookies are not the problem. They never are. And it's not about ridding the foods. It's about changing that relationship and the narrative and the beliefs around it. And so when you take that same applied action into, oh, well, why why does that person bother me, right? And it's like, okay, question yourself. What is it about it? Why it is that? It's not the person that bothers you. There's still some triggers that are upsetting to you. And it was just kind of that unraveling. So kind of like when you have that aha moment, everything else starts to really shine brighter. And you're like, oh, those are the things I was too afraid to address. And so we fuel our time, energy, and the sufficiency into producing something that we feel that we can control in a life and a body and a mindset that is actually spiraling out of control. So kind of like the paradox, like this is the, you know, catch 22, like, well, where do I begin? And that was something where I had to turn within and say, this is not about the food. It's not about the body. It's not about the outcome. And in fact, this isn't even about the damage. It's about the relationship with myself and how I can change that. And so I love that you brought that up because that's such an incredible and very important point to point out. And so those that are listening, you're like, yeah, this is where I know I have to begin. And we're using the context of food and diet because it's so relatable that almost, I don't even know what the percentage is. I'm not very good at the stat stuff, but if you're a human, you've probably dieted or have known somebody like indirect reach who has dieted. So this greatly affects all of us, which is, is a great example that we can all relate to. So if we're finding that we're not getting the results or the expectation or chasing something that is not sustainable or for us, question again, those beliefs and now start addressing those issues versus the external. Cause that's just a reflection of what you're attracting, what you're putting out there. Right. Absolutely. 
Yeah. It always brings me back to the question, who benefits from me feeling this Mm -hmm. way or thinking this way? And I had to, in my recovery journey, repeatedly ask myself that question because it doesn't just have to be around food, but in my relationship with food, I had so many of like those stories, that conditioning from, I mean, you mentioned as early as eight, my clients have been placed on their first diet at age eight or 12. And even if you yourself haven't struggled with, you know, like a poor relationship with food, maybe you had close contact with someone who did. And so, you know, that rubbed off on you indirectly, but so many of these stories are not rooted in truth or what is helpful for us, what is logical, what is factual. And so when we stop to say, well, who benefits from me feeling this way? It's usually not us. And in the food kind of dynamic, it's usually diet culture, which is a billion dollar industry, right? The dieting industry. And so if it's not benefiting me, why would I continue to show up that way in my life when it's hurting me? Like it's actually causing me more distress, whether that's mentally, physically, or both. That was like a life-changing question for me because you just kind of assume like, oh, this is the way that I'm supposed to show up. This is the way everybody's doing it. Like this is what's expected of me. And I don't know about anybody else, but I never really stopped to question why I was doing what I was doing until I really hit some of those roadblocks and my body essentially forced me to be like, like, this isn't working anymore. We've got to change something. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. That was definitely me. I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And when you were just, like I said, blind faith pouring into this diet culture, expecting them to know the answers and have the results and get you this beautiful, magical, loving body that they claim is at the end, you know, it's like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And we're chasing this. We're like, okay, we're doing all the things, but why aren't we getting the results? Because it's not realistic. It's not one size fits all. I mean, they put out one diet and every, as we all know, people come all different shapes and sizes. So there's the male and then they're female and you're like genders and hormones and age. And, and there's so many varying factors that we don't understand. But when we're in this constant pain point, and desperation. And that's where I feel like it induces more trauma because diet culture is a trauma, right? It's projecting something that's not sustainable and it's, it's detrimental to our health. Look at us. I mean, we're at this point where we were able to recognize it before it got the best of us. And we, we were able to correct course and create healthy, loving relationships with ourselves. And we get to help others do that same, but that can't be said for everyone. And unfortunately, you know, we have to look at it from that diet culture is pouring this toxic thought process. They're putting out these beliefs that aren't real. And then on the other hand, they're over here, we'll do all this and we're going to brainwash you with thinking that there's something wrong with you. But don't worry, because on the other side of that, we got that pill. We got that quick fix. We got the solution to your pain point that we just caused for you. But don't worry, we got the Band-Aid and we got the Neosporin, but we're going to cut you too. It was that concept. And when I, I was like, holy crap, I can't believe that they're able to even get away with that, let alone that we're all victims of this diet culture because that's just BS. Who's actually teaching us to have loving, caring relationships with ourselves? Because we can't even look at that and expect our parents to do that because our parents grew up with this brainwash culture too. I mean, speaking of my mom too, she was like, okay, well, you know, she didn't do a whole lot on the diet stuff, but relationship with herself and practicing self-care and love and, and fueling herself with, you know, proper nutrient dense foods that wasn't ingrained in her. So what she didn't learn, she didn't have the insight and knowledge now to pass it on to her children. So it's a generational trauma that's constantly embedded in us. 
and more so on the women's side, because we're just told this is what we should look as a packaged whole deal. Like Mm -hmm. if you don't have this pretty packaged ribbon on you, then go back and keep trying harder. I also think, I mean, most of my clients have some sort of family, like generational food trauma that they're working to end or, you know, to discontinue and heal from. But I also grew up in a like super healthy family in terms of relationship with food and exercise. So it's not just those people who grew up, you know, being subjected to repeat diets when they were in their early teens. Certainly that is traumatic Mm -hmm. in its own way. But I also think, I don't know if this makes sense. I've never really like spoken about it out loud before, but you know that expression, like if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. I don't think that that's true in a lot of instances. Like maintenance is a really beautiful spot. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we can just press pause and rest. But in terms of fighting against diet culture or unsubscribing from diet culture, it does feel to me as though we do have to actively be on guard or like actively speaking up against it or speaking out about it because I grew up in a very like healthy, there's no foods that were off limits. Like activity was done because it was fun, not because it burned calories. But even then the media, especially now social media, I I grew up before phones were a thing. I got my first phone when I was 16 and now kids get them when they're like six. Uh, But that's neither here nor there. I sound 80 years old. If you live in a world where you're subjected to any kind of media or influence from friends, from family members, from anywhere, you're going to experience diet culture conditioning. So you almost have to be on the lookout of like, what even subliminal messaging am I absorbing about food and about how what I eat influences my body or how the size of my body influences my worth? And how can I actively be like, standing against that or just rejecting those ideas because it is so pervasive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And and I think, you know, as you mentioned, grow up in a healthy, active home. I'm the only girl. I have three brothers. We're all active in sports and we didn't have any foods that were off limits, but it was also that relationship of not knowing that I can have a relationship with my body in a healthy way. Again, these are all lessons I learned like after, you know, years later, I'm like, oh, these are like hindsight things. So I could speak about them now. And it was a lot of it for me to uncover and discover while I was writing my book, Chasing Perfection. Like, I mean, I was chasing something that didn't exist. And even though I knew it didn't exist, it felt like I was always on the cusp of Oh, it's just right around the corner. It's just there, right? And it's that that kind of the high of feeling like you've achieved or you're so close to that achievement that it almost sounds silly to just stop or not pursue whatever that is. And that that drive keeps us going and going and going. And that's where eventually we realize we just took on unhealthy habits, our behaviors are are skewed, our decision-making is clouded, our identity now has been compromised. And so sometimes you don't realize it until it's too late when it had gotten too fast, too far and out of control. And that was a lot of the undoing the damage to reclaim, right? That relationship, your thoughts, your beliefs, challenge, all that stuff. And so I think for me, that was really the pinnacle of my healing was when I did hit that rock bottom after suffering back surgery, not taking care of myself, going full on full steam to trying to get that perfect body and turn to health and fitness, more or less bodybuilding 
at my first competition. I speak back of that as the past as well, because I thought at that point that was something I hadn't done. It was new. And I was like, oh, well, these girls are my ideal version of what I've been trying to chase for like 20 something years. And if I can just do this and now I have a coach and I have a plan and I have a goal and I have a like all the things, all the stars were aligned kind of thing. And in that constant quest, it was when I was getting smaller, smaller, smaller. And even though the body was physically changing, the mind never did. The mind was still ingrained with those old beliefs, patterns, and the perceived value of my own self-worth. So every time I was compete, like going through this competition prep, when I had finally won, when I lost a lot of the fat and like being women, you know, our, our breast shrink. And I was like, Ooh, they're getting smaller. We're making progress. Next came, I lost my period. I was like, we're almost there. And these were milestones. Like these were moments of success and achievement that were cheered and celebrated. Come on, girl, you're almost there. That's how you know you're making progress. That's how you know you got your your fat low. And it was just like encouraged. And so at the end of it, pushing my body to limits and extremes that eventually during that competition, I had ruptured my disc, um, was in the worst physical pain I've ever experienced to trapped in this body that I absolutely hated to the mindset and beliefs that were kept me imprisoned and tortured. And here I am now left like debilitated and, you know, unable to even physically move. And then that was like, holy shit, how, what, what the F, how, like all the stuff, right? And you're like, okay, mm, while I'm bedridden, while I'm laying in bed, trying to figure out what the heck just happened. How did I just literally get knocked off my feet? And that was the first moment of like, Rachel, take some accountability. You, you didn't just get here. This is a compilation of just everything. And you have to take responsibility for your side. And that's why I say now diet culture is still prevalent and relevant, especially into, you know, like you said, we see this in the social media and online space where there's almost no avoidance to it, where it takes women like you and I who have we become now champions and heroes of our own story that we can now be advocates and voices for those who have still still some work to do. And that's, you know, to know that the struggle that we had to endure does have a happy ending. And that's what you empower your ladies to do. And, you know, empowering them to rid that diet culture and live those happy, healthy lives. And so I'm curious to know, as you were going through your own journey and starting to have these breakthrough moments, and now you're at this point in your journey where you're like, holy crap, I got it. This is now my life's work. If I can change my life, I want to help do that for somebody else. So I'd love to hear more about that and kind of the process of what it's like working with you and the transformations that many of, and I'm sure many of your clients are experiencing even at this time in their life. I can completely relate to the like changing everything about your physical form, but realizing nothing mentally has changed. Like you're still just as dissatisfied and just as unhappy. And I think for me, the coolest part, maybe this is just because I have a passion for psychology, like understanding why people do what they do was understanding that none of my battle with food had anything to do with food. We mentioned it a little bit earlier on in our conversation, but nothing, there's no food on the earth that is as unhealthy as the stories we tell ourselves about food. And it was coming to that realization where I was like, I have to tell other people this. Like, I don't think people get it. You know, the messaging out there is, oh, bread is bad and sugar is going to kill you. And, you know, insert any food here, you should avoid it entirely. And that just misses the point, right? It's like, what's the expression? Missing the forest for the trees. 
because what we're telling ourselves about the food that we eat, what we're telling ourselves about our bodies and what's going to happen to them as a result of something we ate and enjoyed is the bigger issue. So I think that for me was like the joy of wanting to shout that from the rooftop so that other women can understand. And also acknowledging that food for me was an outlet. And I think a lot of people can relate to this as well. But why we choose food is not often largely because we're hungry, which is why food is there, right? When we're hungry, the only solution is food, not water, not chewing gum, not getting up and distracting yourself. It's food. If you're hungry, you must eat. However, I think a lot of us reach for food because it's easily accessible. We live in a food abundant environment and we're very privileged to be able to have access to food at the snap of a finger. But food is also conditioned from an early age to be a salve for any emotion, whether it's a negative emotion, like I'm stressed, I'm sad, I'm frustrated, whether it's a positive emotion, I'm celebrating, I want to you know, feel good and I want to prolong that feeling good. Food has been used to kind of pair with that feeling. And sometimes that's totally fine, right? All emotional eating is not, I don't want to come across saying emotional eating is bad. No emotional eating because that's not true. Sometimes emotional eating can be a wonderful thing and it can be part of our culture or it could be celebratory. I think when we are failing to acknowledge how we're feeling, or perhaps we don't have any other coping mechanisms and then food becomes the default, it's not fair to us because food can never solve an emotional problem. Mm -hmm. We need an emotional solution for an emotional problem. So that also really just kind of drove my passion to helping women create healthy eating habits where, yeah, I want you to be powerfully nourished. I want you to know what your body needs in order to look, feel, and perform your best, because that's pretty cool to walk around having all the energy that you could want and more and to wake up feeling clear headed and to not be thinking about food all the time because you're actually getting balanced meals throughout the day that you're satisfied with. Like that's awesome. And I want to help women understand that you don't need food as a crutch for maybe something you're going through mentally, emotionally, psychologically. Like, let's come up with some healthier coping mechanisms that you truly feel better about. Food may help you to feel good for a short period of time, but then in the long run, it didn't solve what you were hoping it would solve. And now maybe you feel not as great because you chose, I don't know, a sleeve of Oreos to help you deal with the stress. So I think also helping my clients to identify where emotional eating meets physiological hunger is so mind-blowing to them and helping them to create these alternate coping mechanisms where, hey, if you want to choose food, that's awesome, but I want you to choose food intentionally. If you are stressed and you're choosing food, I want you to say, I'm stressed and I'm going to stress eat this bowl of cocoa puffs or mint chocolate chip ice cream or whatever your jam is. But I also want you to feel like you have the confidence and the ability to say, I'm stressed food's probably not going to be like the true solution for me right now. So let me figure out what will help me to feel better. And then if I still want to come back for that bowl of ice cream, I totally can. And that's probably the coolest part for me. I love helping women to create body composition change. That's just fun in its own way. If they have a goal of putting on muscle mass, or they have a goal of losing a healthy amount of body fat in a way that doesn't cause them to feel deprived or restricted. But the coolest progress for me is to watch my clients change their relationships with food in ways that feel more freeing for them when they go out to eat and don't have to think about how many calories are in the meal that they're ordering. Or they get invited to a friend's house and they don't have to sweat over bringing their own food in a Tupperware container. Or they miss a workout because they're 
kid had a play date last minute and they wanted to be able to say yes and not worry about the fact that the scale might be up tomorrow because they missed that workout. It's the change they actually do like mentally and in their relationship with food, which like we talked about then bleeds over into like every area of life. So they're more flexible with their nutrition and with themselves overall. They're more forgiving of themselves when they don't have a perfectly ideal day. And there's just so much power and beauty involved in that. So yeah, if I can ever help a woman to create a confident relationship with food and healthy eating habits that feel like, first of all, work for her life. So she's not trying to fit herself into a list of arbitrary rules, but she's learning how to create like an individualized nutrition strategy that just works based on her preferences and her lifestyle and her individual goals. Sign me up any day of the week. I just love it. I don't think I will ever get tired of it. No, I I mean, I'm over here like nodding and just agreeing with every single thing that you just said, because that was one from me being on that side where, holy shit, these are like changes that I, oh my God, like, wow. Right. So all this progress started just unfolding and this momentum kept going and I was just riding it and going with it. And it's like this overexcitement of passion because I was literally changing my life. But for the first time I felt like I was living, I was living life. And, and it wasn't the relationship with food because it was just the relationship with the beliefs that I had around food, which were ingrained and said, you know, like, like you had mentioned, don't eat this, don't eat that. This is bad for you. And I remember being at a point in my life, I was like, so I should just drink my tears and eat air. Like you've already eliminated everything out there, even to the point of like personally attacking the macronutrients, like carbs are bad and fats are fat and they're going to make you fat and protein. It's going to kill your kidneys and you're going to die. And it's like, then at that point, what's left? It, it eliminated all the food groups, right? So now you're, that's why I sound like I was so overwhelmed and confused that I just, there were, I was like, stop eating. There'd be days I would just not eat. And then I'm so famished after not eating for like three days, I would binge for the other like three days and repeat that cycle followed by like diet pills and laxatives and extremes, uh, workouts and hot weather kind of stuff, just so I can go back to this neutral and like hit the hard reset. Cause I thought I did damage and it was just that cycle. So it was so vicious. So now on the flip side, I started realizing how beautiful life is and how beautiful life is when I can come at it from a fresh lens and a perspective. And now being able to carry that forward into empowering and helping other individuals do the same thing. And so this is kind of like back in the day when I was doing fitness coaching and just watching these women have those breakthrough, those revelations, like, yeah, I was eating pizza like two, three times a week. because It was fast. It was convenient. It was like, how can we now still keep those activities in your life? So your, your life doesn't feel disrupted, but about making those healthy choices, swapping out some foods for healthier food swaps to keeping a pizza. And I, I remember this conversation because I had said to her, well, what is it about the pizza that you enjoy? She's like, oh, I just love the the cheese and the grease and the drip and right. And I said, but who are you sharing that pizza with? She goes, my family. It brings my family together. I said, that's the reason you keep the pizza in this equation. So what if we keep the family together and we create, like make it a different experience and family time becomes to create your own pizza. So now you're teaching your kids to have healthy choices, picking up fresh vegetables and meats and whatnot and topping us. And now it becomes like a craft for a young kid who's like, this is fun. And now you, as the, the client that I was working with at the time was like, you get to have this pizza with your family and have an incredible experience. And the cravings there, the experience is there, the family time is there. You did not compromise a single thing. She's like, I gave it a try. And she goes, my family loved it so much. They requested pizza nights on repeat. 
And she goes, this has just been an incredible change. And it's just those little, little changes, right? So I know that you work way more in depth with your clients and that shared example, but I paint that picture because I want for those who are listening to realize it doesn't require this in-depth hard, obtrusive, like, oh my gosh, I got to tackle another elephant where I've been battling this other one for so long. No, it's about the conscious choices that you make every single day and how you show up and how you make those choices that are impacting the results of what you want to do and who you want to become. So, Absolutely. Yes. Pretty dang cool. Uh, I think just something that I want to stress also is most of the women that I work with do come to me with a sustainable fat loss goals. Not all of them, but mm-hmm. usually they want to think about food less, not be so obsessed by it, not be so overwhelmed you know, with thoughts of food and calories and weight and things like that. But they do appreciate that they might move more comfortably or they might be healthier with certain health metrics if they lost a certain amount of body fat. Now, there is a point where we can lose too much body fat, but most of us don't push ourselves towards that end of the spectrum, although you and I sound like two people who did, but they're looking for ways to do that that doesn't feel soul-sucking, that doesn't rob them of their lives. Like the example you just gave, they don't want to sacrifice family time or pizza night on Fridays or ice cream with the kids on Sundays while reaching their goal. And so every step of the journey that my coaching clients and I walk through, we're constantly saying, does this feel health promoting for you? Does this feel goal supportive to you? Because there is a point where for sure we could sacrifice more things. We could exercise more. We could make more compromises when it comes to nutrition, but we do reach a point on at that end of the spectrum where it doesn't feel health promoting anymore. It doesn't feel goal supportive anymore. If I start to stress about having pizza night with my family, maybe we need to do some more work there because that doesn't sound like a health promoting behavior. Having pizza, someone might argue, well, that's not health promoting at all. Isn't it though? Like if she's having a fantastic time with her family and like you said, nutritionally, we can work on making it slightly more health promoting. Could we all have like some veggies with dip beforehand? Could we throw some protein on top of that pizza? You know, obviously it's all about the poisons in the dose, right? So how frequently is this happening? But that sounds really health promoting to me that she's having a great quality time with her family and enjoying food that she loves. So if we can help them to create fat loss in a way that they know they can confidently maintain because they've done so in a way that fits with their life and just making small adjustments to their eating habits that now allow them to feel better and to perform better and to feel like they're making more progress towards their goals. That's amazing. But we're always, I am, I shouldn't speak for everyone, but I'm always very in tune with, does this feel good for you? Does this still feel good mentally and physically? Or are we, does it feel like you're sacrificing too much? Is it starting to feel restrictive or deprivation-based? In which case, screeching halt, like let's revisit and see if maybe there's something else going on here. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many incredible little tips that you shared. And then just our own transformation journey to the testimonials and the outtakes of working with, you know, for me, past clients, but you even with your current clients and just watching how one woman's story can be profoundly impacted to another. And here we are on this podcast talking about shared yet vastly different experiences. And to know that that our stories and our work that we've done on ourselves now serve a higher purpose and to go help others do the same. And that's why I said earlier, is like, yeah, as much as it sucked to experience it, knowing that it had a point and served a purpose and now to give back to others and be able to to empower them to go out and create a life that they absolutely love. And I think that that is an incredible transformation within itself because it comes full circle. And I love that it, you and I are on the same boat here in the same boat here with like, 
we don't just teach individuals. And I think even from now taking that huge step back from coaching, for me personally, I, I like I said, I don't coach, but now from a place of creating experiences for individuals where they can now come back out of it still with a breakthrough through just shared experiences and go out there and feel empowered where it's like, we're not giving them the template and a meal plan. And here are the the seven things you need to do. And if you stray from these seven, then you know, you're bad and you got to go back and try again and that kind of stuff. But our whole promise and our whole line of work is really to promote self-empowerment. We teach you, we educate you, we equip you, we show you. And through that, that's where I felt was the biggest transformation for myself because I had experienced it. It wasn't somebody just said, here are your seven steps. But through that failed attempt of going at it to try to practice it myself until you find a way that works for you has now come full circle where we empower others to do exactly that. And that's what I, I admire about your work, about your storytelling here, because you you definitely are your own first client, right? Like you came through your own, your own demise here and now you're shining bright and empowering others to do the same. So that's an incredible feat. So kudos to you. That's incredible. Thank you. I have heard it said before where we often become the person that we wish we had when we were struggling. And that's definitely how I see it. Yeah, for sure. And and that's actually something even from my own marketing, because I have a degree in marketing and minor in psychology as well. And so with my business marketing degree, that was something that I really had to take a step back. And when you start creating your own business and everything built around your own experiences, you know, and like marketing 101, they're all like, well, who's your ideal client? And you start thinking, you start thinking, I'm like, "Mm -mm, this, I just put a pin, stop thinking, look within. Like you are your reason why you started. You are your first client. You are your first testimonial. And so when you can really tap into the power of who you were and the struggles you encountered and the pain points, that's when everything starts shifting because you can now be at a place instead of creating the programs and doing the thing, you are at a place now of service because you have come from that exact same starting point. I love it. I couldn't have said it better myself. Rachel, can <laughs> I share a gift with your listeners? Is that okay? 100%. I was just going to ask you that. Yes, because I know that we're wrapping up on our time here and I would love, I mean, you've already given away such incredible gift in your experience and just the work that you do. So I would love for you to have anything else up your sleeve if you'd love to share with our audience. I'm just going off of past questions I've gotten from prospective clients and you know people who slide into my DMs on Instagram. And that question is, okay, I love the idea of not subscribing to diet culture and falling into that like crash conventional dieting roller coaster ride, but I still want to create healthy fat loss. How the heck do I kind of mesh those two? And so I've come up with what I call my diet-free fat loss formula. And it's just sort of a cheeky way of helping clients to understand that absolutely you can have body composition goals. I believe in body autonomy. So if that's important to you, then absolutely we can do that. And I would love to share, it's a little masterclass that I've recorded. It's a five-day masterclass, although you can binge it all if you want to, (laughs) because you're so into it. And you can find that by going to nutritioncoachingwithnicole.com backslash diet-free masterclass. And there you will get all of that content just to give you a little bit more information on what does diet-free or more appropriately diet culture-free fat loss actually look like. And if you have other questions or you just want to chat, I hang out on Instagram most often. So come say hi and you can find me at Nutrition with Nicole. 
Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. You just answered my last question. I was like, where, where can people find you at? But awesome. We're definitely going to include all the links in the show notes. So be sure to check below and definitely take Nicole up on this to go check out because this episode has been incredible. I hope you guys have really felt the value and her heart and her passion for what she does. So be sure to check out her masterclass and the programs and everything that she has to offer because I know that it will not disappoint. So Nicole, thank you. Thank you for just being here and sharing your heart and your work and your passion with us and our listeners. So thank you. Thank you for having me, Rachel. Thank you. Hey there. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of the Confident Woman Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did, please be sure to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. Thanks again for listening. 